Okay, well tonight we are in week three of our teaching series called After Egypt. And for the past few weeks, we have been looking at what happened to the Israelites after they left Egypt. No longer were they in slavery under the rule of the Egyptian pharaoh. Instead, they were free, wandering in the desert led by a man named Moses. And this time really proved to be very challenging for the Israelites. They didn't have a home. They didn't have a place that they were headed to quite yet. And they were stuck wandering in the wilderness. But the Israelites weren't wandering aimlessly. In fact, God had been providing for them every step of the way. He gave them a pillar of cloud by day. He gave them a pillar of fire by night to to guide and direct their steps. When they were hungry, God sent bread or manna from heaven. And last week, we talked about how God actually provided water from a rock to quench their thirst. And despite all of their grumbling and complaining and rebellion, God was still extremely faithful to them. He was continuing to provide for them. And tonight, our story is going to pick up where we left off last week. And the Israelites are camped at a place called Rephidim. Everybody say Rephidim. You see, Rephidim was a a very interesting place. That word translated in the original language actually means resting place. And Rephidim was a place in the desert where travelers would stop and they would take a break. It's kind of like our modern-day version of a rest stop. And the Israelites had camped here at Rephidim. They camped here in order to rest and to recharge and to refuel before they continued on their journey. And tonight, our story picks up really where life is good for the Israelites. Like, life is looking pretty good for them. Not only did they have a belly full of food, but they also had access to water. They had just witnessed God perform some amazing miracles and provide for them. And although life has seemingly been pretty hard since they left left Egypt, things are starting to, to turn around. Things are finally starting to look up. They're happy and content. Have you ever found yourself in, in a similar spot in life? In the middle of your life, things seem like they're going well. You're living your best life. Maybe you're making good grades. You've made the soccer team. You're getting along with your siblings. Things are going well. You would say that that life is pretty good. But then, the unexpected happens. And it flips your world upside down. Something happens that you weren't prepared for, Something happens that you hadn't planned for, and all of a sudden, life isn't so good anymore, and you're not too sure how to respond. You see, that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. Life was really good. Things were finally starting to go well, but then the unexpected happened, and it flipped their world upside down. And tonight, we're going to look at a story where the Israelites are faced with a situation and with something that they are not prepared for, with something that caught them extremely off guard. 
So if you have your Bible or the Bible app, I want you to open to, to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And we're going to pick up in verse 8 tonight. In Exodus 17 verse 8, it says this. The Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. All of a sudden, the Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Now, who were the, the Amalekites? We've never heard of them before. You see, the Amalekites were actually descendants of, of Esau, who was one of Isaac's sons. And the Amalekites were a nomadic tribe of people that wandered in the wilderness. In fact, the desert was, was their home. It was their place. And as travelers passed through, as travelers journeyed through their home, they often saw that as an opportunity to attack, as an opportunity to, to take their possessions and their money. And the Amalekites were known for causing chaos and destruction. In fact, the Bible in another verse describes them as a godless people because they were so evil. They were not the kind of people that, that you wanted to, to be hanging out with. And so the Amalekites, they launch a sneak attack on the unsuspecting Israelites. The book of Exodus doesn't really give us a lot of details about this attack, but the book of Deuteronomy gives us some more specifics as to how they attacked. The book of Deuteronomy tells us that the Amalekites actually snuck up from the Israelites on behind. They snuck up from them on behind and they attacked the weakest part of their camp. They came after the elderly and they came after the children because those were the two people that they knew would not be able to, to defend themselves. Those were the people who could not stand up against their attack. And listen, the Amalekites, they fought dirty. It didn't matter who you were, it didn't matter how old you are, they were coming after you. Look in verse nine. But Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So in response to this attack, Moses tells Joshua to begin to put together an army to fight back. And listen, this was a lot easier said than done. You see, when the Israelites were in slavery and captivity, they did construction work. They did manual labor. The Israelites had no form of military training. They didn't know how to fight. They didn't know how to defend themselves. But as if all of this wasn't difficult enough, Joshua was responsible for readying the Israelites in one day. He had one day to get the Israelites ready to go to war against a very well-trained and against a very dangerous people. He had one day to teach them how to fight and defend themselves because ready or not, they were going to war, whether they were prepared or not. Look in verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So as Joshua and his men are fighting, as they're getting ready to, to go to war, Moses goes up to the top of this hill. 
And he's joined by his brother Aaron and his brother-in-law, Hur. These are two people that he really trusted. These were two people that, that had his back. And from the top of this hill, Moses was able to see everything that was going on below him. He had a view to see if they were winning or losing. But all of a sudden, Moses noticed something very interesting. He realized that if he lifted his hands over his head, the Israelites started to win. But whenever he lowered his hands, whenever he lowered his, his staff, his men would begin to lose. Now, you might be thinking, okay, how did Moses even realize this? Like, none of us walk around with our hands up to begin with. How did Moses even know that, that this was a thing? You see, in, in Jewish culture, it was common to raise your hands in the air when you were praying. In fact, when you were praying, you would lift your hands in the air because it was this physical symbol of your dependence on God. And Moses, obviously, is praying for his men who are right in front of him in battle. And so naturally, he takes his staff and he lifts it above his head as he's praying, out of habit, out of familiarity. And listen, this staff that Moses raised above his head, it has significance. This staff had been through a lot with him. In fact, this was the same staff that parted the Red Sea and it was the same staff that caused water to come from the rock. It was a symbol of God's power. And when he lifted his hands over his head, they were victorious. Look in verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. You know, in, in order for us to understand this, the significance of this, I want us to see what this actually would have looked like in person. So I'm going to need a volunteer to help me out. Jack, come on. All right, I'm going to have you stand right here, right in front of that chair. And I want you to pretend for a minute that you're Moses, okay? So I want you to lift your hands in the air, and I want you to keep them right there. Don't wave them. Just keep them right there. Jack is, is Moses, all right? And this is the, the position that Moses found himself in. He's got his hands raised above his head, and down below him, he has got this great visual of what's going on. He's able to see if his men are winning, if they're losing. He's able to see everything. But what do you expect? Moses starts to get a little tired. You see, Moses isn't standing here like this for just a few minutes. He's standing like that for hours. Hours upon hours upon hours. And Moses, he begins to feel fatigued. He begins to feel like his arms are a little heavy. His shoulders start burning. His hands are going numb. How are you feeling? You getting a little tired? It's harder than you think it is, I, I promise. So what happens? The two men that, that he trusted most, Aaron and her, come alongside to, to support him. I need two more volunteers. All right, both of you, come on. Come on. All 
I want you to stand on either side of him, all right? So this is Aaron and her. And Aaron and her begin to realize that Moses is in trouble. And they know what's at stake. They know that if Moses begins to, to lower his hands, they're going to lose. And so what do they do? They come to Moses' rescue. They take a rock. This is a rock. And they put it behind Moses so that he can sit on it. And they take each one of his, his hands and they lift it above his head. They're there to support their brother. They're there to support the leader of, of the Israelites because they know what's at stake. There's no way they're going to let Moses put his hands down because it was the difference between winning and losing. Good job, guys. Thank you. Y'all give them a round of applause. You did a great job. I want you to look back at in verse 13 with me and let's see what happens next. As Joshua overcame the, the Amalekite army with the sword, then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because my hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, and the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. After sunset, after a day, an entire day of Moses having to, to raise his hands above his head, Joshua and his army are finally victorious over the Amalekites. And listen, this was a big deal. This was a monumental defeat. And so God tells Moses to remember this day, to remember the, the day that you beat the Amalekite army. No longer would they pose a threat to travelers passing through. And in response, Moses builds an, an altar. And he names that place where the, the battle happened, the Lord is my banner. It was a place of, of significance for the Israelites. You see, on paper, the Israelites should not have won this battle. They were outmanned, they were outgunned, and they did not have any experience. And not only was that true, they were also extremely caught off guard. They were extremely unprepared for the Amicalites' attack. But listen, this time, they reacted differently. Instead of doubting God's faithfulness, they chose to trust him wholeheartedly. They chose to believe that, that God was there for him, that, that he had their back. And God showed up in a very unique way. You see, God showed up through the help of other people. Let me say that again. God showed up through the help of other people. You know, each person in this story played a significant role in the Israelites' victory. And they were only able to achieve success. They were only able to, to defeat this army because of this, the fact that they supported one another. You see, the Israelite army couldn't have succeeded without training from Joshua. 
Joshua could not have succeeded without the support and the leadership of Moses. And Moses, he could not have succeeded without the intervention of Aaron and her. They showed up for one another when it mattered most. You see, students, the, the same is true in our own life. When we are in a situation that, that seems overwhelming, when we're in a situation where it feels like the odds are stacked against us, when we're unprepared for something that comes our way, one of the ways that God will often show up in our life is through other people. He will place the right people at the right time in our life to meet our emotional needs, to meet our physical needs, and to meet our spiritual needs. To be a real, tangible representation of his love and his faithfulness to us. God shows up in our life, oftentimes through other people. And there's several ways that, that I think God does this. First of all, I think God shows up in our life through the words of other people. Have you ever talked to someone and they said exactly what you needed to hear at the very right moment? Maybe they didn't know what was going on in your life. They didn't know what you were walking through, what you were dealing with. But they spoke directly into your situation and it was what you needed to hear at the time. Their words encouraged you and gave you hope and strength to continue moving forward. Listen, I don't think that that's an accident that that happens. In fact, I think God will often use people to speak directly into our life, to provide encouragement and affirmation and godly counsel when we need it most. Now, I'm not saying that, that every word someone says to you is coming directly from God. That's not true all the time. In fact, we must be discerning and wise about who we are listening to. But God will often use the, the words of other believers to build us up when we're struggling. That's why Paul tells us in, in the book of Ephesians, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Another way that, that God will often use others is through their, their actions. Aaron and Hur's actions, they met a, a physical need in Moses' life when they raised his hands for him. And without them, it would have been physically impossible for Moses to, to continue. You see, often God will use the, the physical actions of others to meet needs in our lives so that we have the ability and the strength to keep going just like Aaron and Hur did for Moses. You know, here's a, here's a few examples of this. You can probably relate to some of these. A small group leader takes you to dinner after a tough week. Your best friend shows up to be a shoulder to cry on after a bad breakup. A family friend drops dinner by after your mom or dad has surgery. Your mentor shows up to your, your basketball game or dance competition when your parents can't make it. Your neighbors show up to help clear debris and damage after a hurricane. Listen, none of these actions in and of themselves are, are big. They're not these crazy things that, that people do for us, but these are the things that, that we remember. 
These are the things that, that have an impact on us because they met some sort of specific need in our life. They met us right where we needed it most and gave us the ability to overcome whatever situation we found ourselves in. A final way that, that God will often use others in our life is, is through prayer. You know, one of the, the most meaningful things someone can ever say to me personally is, I'm praying for you. Whether you know what's going on or not in my life, that means that, that when you say that to me, you have purposefully taken time out of your day to, to pray for me, to come before the Lord and, and to lift me up. I want you to listen to what James says in, in chapter 5. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, so often I think our last resort is, is to pray for others. When somebody's walking through a difficult situation in life, we feel like we've got to say the right thing. We feel like we've got to show up for them. But one of the last things that we even think to do is, is to pray for them. You see, students, prayer is one of the most effective tools that we have as followers of Jesus. It's how we communicate with God. And when we pray for one another, when we come to God on behalf of another person, God hears us and he answers. And many times he will work through the, the prayers of someone else to meet a need in our own lives. You know, just recently, I have seen this become true in my own life. About a year and a half ago, I was finishing up my master's degree. And I got my master's degree in, in mental health counseling and, and absolutely loved it. It was a great experience. But as part of my program, I had to complete a 600-hour internship in order to graduate. That's a lot of hours. And I was working full-time here at the church. I was also still taking some classes to, to finish up my degree. And I was really concerned about how I was going to be able to, to manage all of this. I didn't know kind of how I was going to be able to fit all of this into my schedule because of, of everything that, that I had going on. But regardless, I uh, actually landed a pretty sweet internship working at a, a mental health hospital out in Tampa. This hospital specializes in treating people who are struggling with severe mental illness, and it was, it was a great experience. I had a great supervisor, I learned a lot, and I was even able to help some of, some of my patients along the way. But gradually over time, that internship really began to take a toll on me. Not only was it a, a difficult environment where I constantly had to, to be on guard, I also was listening to these horrific stories of, of the people that, that I was trying to help. And when I got home at the end of a day, I was exhausted, not just physically, but also emotionally. And I remember as this schedule wore on, as the, the semester wore on, I continued to struggle even more. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I had thoughts that were racing. I, I, could, I felt like I couldn't get out of my own head. And over the course of a two-week period, I had four very major panic attacks, none of which I had ever experienced before. I'd never experienced anything like it. 
And after some encouragement, I ended up finally going to the, to the doctor. And come to find out, I was actually diagnosed with a stress-related disorder. My body was under so much stress that it was trying to, to overcompensate. And my body was, was beginning to, to shut down on me. And I remember feeling like in that moment that I was a complete failure. I had a degree in mental health counseling, but I couldn't figure out what was going on in my own life. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with, with me. While all of this was, was going on, believe it or not, our church hired a new staff member at our Apollo Beach campus. And when she came in town to, to interview, I had the, the opportunity to take her out to lunch and to introduce her to, to Bell Shoals and to show her around. And I remember after that lunch thinking to myself, we have so much in common. Not only was she the, the same age as me, she also served in a similar ministry position at, at another church. And she liked Diet Coke and shopping, two of my favorite things in the entire world. And very quickly, she became one of my closest friends. She became the person that, that I could talk to about what was going on in my life. And during that time, she supported me in every single way possible. She would call me and check on me every few days to see how I was managing my stress levels. If she knew I had a bad day, she would bring me some coffee or take me out to lunch. And most importantly, she prayed very intentionally for me during that season of my life. So much so that she would actually text me after she got done praying with me to specifically tell me what she was praying for. And as I look back on that season of my life, I have absolutely zero doubt that God placed her in my life at the exact time that I needed her most to meet needs in my own life. You see, students, God shows up through people in our life. He uses their words, their actions, and their prayers to minister to us when we need it most. But listen, he, just, he doesn't just use others to, to meet our needs. He also uses us to meet the needs of others. He uses our unique gifts and abilities to be there for those people in our life who need it. But unfortunately, I think what happens is we, we get so caught up in what's going on in our own life. We get so caught up in our mess and everything that we have to do that we miss the people who are right in front of us that are hurting. I'm so thankful that my friend, one of my best friends, saw me. She didn't get caught up in what was going on in her own life. And trust me, there was a lot going on in her own life at the time. But she made herself available to me. And she was able to meet a need in my life that I so desperately needed. So as we wrap up tonight, I wanna to ask that everyone in this room bow their heads and, and close their eyes. No one looking around, no one, no one talking. And I wanna to, to ask you tonight, to, to think of one person in your life right now who's hurting. 
one person in your life who is walking through a really difficult season. It might be a parent, it might be your best friend, it might be your sibling, it might be someone that you barely know at school. But this person has found themselves in a difficult season and the odds are stacked against them. And I want you to take a moment and I want you to pray very specifically for them. I want you to pray that, that God would show up in their life that God would give them peace and understanding, that he would give them the strength to walk through whatever it is that they are going through right now. I want you to take a minute and to pray for that person. we love you and we thank you that so often you use other people in our life to meet our deepest needs. God, you use other people to come alongside us and love us and to walk through difficult seasons in life when we need it most. But God, so often we fail to do the same for others. We get so caught up in our own life and our own mess and everything that we have going on that, that we miss out on the people in our life that, that really need us most, that need someone to, to come alongside them and walk with them. And so Father, tonight I pray that, that you would put someone on the heart and the mind of each one of these students in here tonight. Someone that's hurting in their life, someone that's walking through a difficult season and they need a friend. They need someone to reach out and to say, listen, I'm gonna hold your arms up because I know you're tired and I know you can't do it anymore. God, because you do the same exact thing for us. When we get tired, you put people in our life who are supposed to be there and who can lift our hands up when we're exhausted. And God, we thank you for that tonight. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen.